This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Overcoming great challenges like COVID-19 requires great cooperation. This is Dan Hilferty, CEO of Independence Blue Cross. Most of us never imagined we'd be facing an outbreak of this magnitude. But in the face of this challenge, hospitals, public officials, and business leaders have come together. Through effective cooperation, these leaders are taking steps to keep us safe. Slowing the rate of infection from the virus will help hospitals care for those who need attention most. Remember, stay home, leave only for essential needs. Stay informed from sources like the CDC or Department of Health. Take a break from watching the news. Stay well, exercise, and practice self-care to make sure you're physically and mentally fit. In our great region, we have a tradition of caring for each other and cooperating to get things done. We'll do it again now. For more, visit ibx.com COVID-19. Together, we will beat COVID-19. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. A radio.com station. From the Malamut and Associates Law Studios, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. That is a very, very robust, vigorous, achu sneeze. That's what that is. And that's not what we're talking about. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. On this beautiful fall Sunday, welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. We have a busy day with a great lineup of guests to talk about breast cancer screening and surgery. From Jefferson University Hospital, we're joined by Dr. Jason Seamus, Assistant Professor of Radiology and Associate Director of Research in the Division of Breast Imaging, and then with Dr. Kristen Brill, Associate Professor of Surgery and Enterprise Director of Breast Oncology, and then our friend Paula Green, Executive Director of the American Cancer Society of Greater Philadelphia. We'll begin with Dr. Seamus from Jefferson Radiology. Jason, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Marianne. Thank you so much for having me. We know that breast cancer is the most common cancer in women after skin cancer and the second most common cause of cancer death for women in the U.S. In fact, one in eight will be diagnosed with it. And death rates have decreased dramatically since the 80s thanks to screening, but also because of improved therapies. So let's start by reminding our listeners of the meaning and the value of screening. Right. So the, you know, the true meaning of screening is helping to find those cancers or whatever you're really looking for before it has any signs or symptoms of being present in that patient. So we want to have a test that ultimately has very high sensitivity for finding that finding and has also good specificity. So the things that we do find are truly something that needs to be addressed. So sensitivity to our listeners means accuracy. Did we find it? How often do we find something? Specificity means do we find uh, when we do an x-ray of the stomach, are we finding a tumor or are we finding uh, a tomato? So specificity is important too, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. So what do we use for screening tests, Jason? 
So our gold standard for screening for breast cancer is this is the mammogram. This is a technology that we have um, decades of valuable experience. We have an established protocol for how the exams are performed and interpreted. And because of that, have largely been able to impact our um, survival for patients and reducing that from before screening up to 34%. And so the whole philosophy of screening, as you said, is catch a cancer as early as possible, even before you feel it. The earlier the find, the earlier the treatment, the longer hopefully your life will uh, continue. As we find these, these cancers in the earliest stages, so that in situ disease and that localized disease, we have a nearly 100% survival rate and cure rate for these patients. So that becomes a real critical component, finding it as early as possible to help provide them the best outcomes. As the cancers are detected in that later stage where it's more regional or distant um, inside the body, our survival rates go down precipitously, uh, down to um, as low as possibly 24-25%. So tell us what Jefferson's uh guidelines are for the average risk person. When should a woman start having mammograms? So for our average risk patient, we encourage that women undergo their annual screening mammogram starting at age 40. And I guess if you have a family history, when they come to the breast center, which is Sterling Breast Center at Jefferson, uh, you ask questions that look for any other risks that would make them start at an earlier age or maybe go to our high-risk clinic for screening or genetic testing or counseling? That's correct. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's different risks for patients um, that, that entail what their likelihood of developing cancer over their lifetime is. And depending on what their risks are, different screening guidelines are implemented to help make sure that we're doing everything possible to find the cancers in that earliest stage. So if somebody's of average risk, what does a mammogram show? Normally, what do we look for? So there's, there's several findings that we're looking for in the breast. We're able to see the normal components of the breast tissue. So that's the normal fat and the glandular components, the, the areas in the breast that are able to ultimately produce those secretions. And within those tissues, certain findings that appear as something called a mass asymmetry, uh, distortion where the tissue is being pulled in, an appearance that is being pulled into one spot, or calcifications can indicate that there might be something within that area in the breast tissue that ultimately might require a treatment. And sometimes you can see enlarged lymph nodes in a woman's underarm area or near the collarbone. Right. We're able to also see, um, to some extent, the evaluation of those lymph nodes in the, in the underarm. And depending on how those lymph nodes are appearing can either be indicative of something happening throughout the entire body, like a leukemia or lymphoma, or can indicate uh, that something is just happening in that single breast. So in the, in the right breast, if we see some enlarged lymph nodes, um, that can also trigger that there might be something inside that breast that might need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And it could be, thank goodness, that lymph node showing up because the mammogram looks normal. But we know that in the best circumstances, mammograms pick up 80 to 86 percent of lesions uh, or cancers. And so it is still the best screening tool. But the sensitivity or the pickup rate, the accuracy, can decrease as much as 40 to 50 percent with breast density. Let's talk about that a little bit. What does breast density mean? Right. So, you know, that breast density is how much of that glandular component is present in the breast. So that ratio between the normal fat and the normal glandular component. And for patients that have a higher quantity of that 
that glandular component, it can make it more difficult for us to see those findings, such as the masses and asymmetries that appear very similar to that glandular component. Mm-hmm. It and also, that's... with increased density, imparts an inherent increased risk. It's an independent risk factor uh, for breast cancer as well. And what I've learned from you is that breast tissue is made up of fat, and on a mammogram, that's black, but the, the glands that produce milk are white, and masses, cancer masses, are white. So if you have a lot of glands that produce milk, it can hide the, the masses. So <clears throat> that's when you would reach for an ultrasound as a second tool to study that area? That's right. Yeah, the, the way I try to um, create this analogy is that the cancer is like a cheetah hiding in a forest. When, you're, when that cheetah is hiding in a very thick forest with lots of other things that look very similar to it, it can be really hard to pick out that cheetah. But if we can put that cheetah in a nice open parking lot, it becomes very easy to see where that cheetah is hiding uh, so we can help address that that cheetah is present. The um, mammogram, unfortunately, with certain findings that can be indicative of a cancer, it can look a little bit more similar to um, the normal background tissue and those patients that have denser glandular tissue. Ultrasound provides us another way of looking at that tissue that can help see through that forest with different eyes. And um, those masses and asymmetries can show in a different way um, and be able to find some of those additional cancers that might be missed in those patients with very dense breast tissue. So we have about two minutes left, Jason. Tell us about the value of an MRI. What information does that add? Yeah, MRI is, is our most sensitive test for the detection of breast cancer. Now, Porchy is also one of the least specific tests. So it ends up finding a lot of findings that are, that are normal within the breast tissue that then we have to determine exactly what they represent. It's an incredibly valuable tool for certain circumstances, primarily with the diagnostic workup and for screening for patients who are very high risk. Uh, so it's important to have that information um, to, uh, reviewed with your provider to see if screening with supplemental screening with ultrasound or MRI might be beneficial for you. Well, I know you've told me that Jefferson is a great center for research. You're the assistant director of research. The former mammograms in the 60s were made from film. Then they became digital in 2001 and vastly improved for reading and comparing prior images. Now we have an even better technology with 3D mammography, and it makes one millimeter slices. So imagine if we're looking for peas and carrots versus salt and pepper, we're able to pick up much tinier lesions, and the the digital is much more sensitive. It may increase radiation exposure a little bit, but we are always striving to do better because, as you said, early detection is the key for an increase in survival. Any final words you'd like to share with our audience? I think it's um, it's just so important to um, to understand the risks uh, the, for for breast cancer, for making sure that people are presenting for their routine screening. Um, that is really our our component for making sure that we can provide the best outcomes for patients. So getting screened um, routinely is, is so helpful and seeing how the tissue is changing from year to year is so critical for us to be able to do that early detection. Uh, if there's any questions, there's wonderful websites available through the American um, Cancer Society, through the Susan G. Coleman Foundation, great outreach programs to help provide that information or contact your local um, provider or radiology group to help provide this information. And know your family history, so important. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much again for having me. Thank you. Next up, 
breast cancer surgery. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.com. And a special welcome to Dr. Kristen Brill, Enterprise Director of Breast Oncology at Jefferson and Associate Professor of Surgery. Kristen, welcome. So good to have you here today. Thank you for having me. So... We know breast cancer is so common in women, and the signs of breast cancer, either swelling of all or part of your breast, even if you don't feel a lump, or if your skin dimples, almost like the skin of an orange when the pores enlarge, or in breast or nipple pain, maybe your nipple turns inward, if you have any kind of discharge, or if the skin becomes red or flaky, or if you have swollen nodes, swollen glands under your arms, above or below your collarbone, see your doctor immediately. And then we talk about mammograms. Even in the best circumstances, they can miss up to 20%. So have your regular mammograms, do yourself breast exams. Breast exams can miss lumps. So they complement each other, they're both important. So let's go to the next step. A patient has a positive mammogram. Where do we go from there, Dr. Kristen Brill? Well, so a positive mammogram um, uh, suggests that there was some abnormality seen on mammogram. Uh, most abnormalities seen on mammogram, uh, when patients are brought back for what we call additional or diagnostic views, that would be maybe additional mammogram and or ultrasound, most of them sort of um, um, pan out to be nothing, sometimes just simply overlapping tissue. But the radiologists um, are trained to look for masses, for calcifications that are suspicious, um, for sort of shading areas, what we call architectural distortion, distortion or large lymph nodes. So if um, abnormalities or changes from prior mammogram are identified and worthy of, of looking into further, they will do those additional um, uh, pictures with mammogram, ultrasound, sometimes breast MRI, and then they may suggest a biopsy, an image-guided biopsy. The majority of these biopsies really are done in the radiology suite by the radiologist. They are trained to do this and and, um, very skilled at finding the right technique to to, um, sample that abnormality. And if we're seeing a mass or calcification, um, they will suggest uh, that's worthy of, of a biopsy they'll suggest a core biopsy, which is actually just taking a very uh, thin sliver of tissue in that area. Um, And that's done in the radiology suite. Mm -hmm. And so when our listeners hear us say that a mass is something solid, and sometimes you do an ultrasound and there's fluid in it, we say, oh, thank goodness, it's a cyst. An MRI might find blood supply to the area and say, "Mm, tumors love blood, this is probably cancer. So there are certain changes on all of these different imaging modalities MRI is different from ultrasound, different from uh, mammogram, but calcifications are tiny white dots that can be in a cluster or sprinkled, and that brings our attention to a possible cancer. So a person might be uh, have a biopsy in the radiology, and then they have a positive breast cancer. Where do we go from there? Well, I think um, it, it's important to point out that um, calcifications are very common. Almost every woman has um, uh, you know, a couple of calcifications, if not more, in the breast. So, again, you know, a lot of women will read on the report that they've got calcifications uh, on their mammogram. That does not mean um, that that's a, a brewing cancer. The majority of calcifications are just benign and related to fibrocystic change. 
Mm-hmm. But if a biopsy is done and we see um, a diagnosis of cancer, um, the next step is to get more details about uh, that cancer, the type. Is it invasive or non-invasive ductal carcinoma in situ? Um, more details about size or extent. We actually survey um, with an invasive cancer. We may survey the axilla under the arm to look at the lymph nodes and see if there are any suspicious lymph nodes. So um, a whole uh, workup is done, but generally that patient will start off in, uh, in consultation with the breast surgeon. The breast surgeon will look at the imaging, um, examine the patient, talk about family history, other medical uh, issues, and begin to sort of formulate a plan um, and, and help that man or woman um, determine really what next steps are and what um, good treatment options um, they have. And I know we've spoken about this. That includes testing for tumor markers. Does the tumor have estrogen or progesterone receptors? And in that case, maybe the treatment would include hormone therapy. Does it have a receptor called HER2 or HER2? It stands for human epidermal growth factor. That's a receptor. It's a protein that helps cancer cells grow. If it's positive, it adds a different therapy. And if somebody's, you people hear the expression triple negative, we might use a different therapy. And we'll address those markers next week when we talk to one of our uh, breast cancer doctors. But if patients hear the words adjuvant or neoadjuvant, what does that mean? Yeah, so um, when we start to look at the the details and the characteristics of the tumor and get an idea um, of what the treatment options are, you're right, we look initially at the tumor type and then the receptors, ER, estrogen receptor sensitivity, PR, progesterone receptor sensitivity, and HER2. So the majority of cancers are are favorable, um, better behaved, and are ER, PR positive, meaning estrogen and progesterone sensitive. Um, some women ask me if that means they've got too much circulating uh, hormone or is that because they took uh, birth control or hormone replacement for a couple of years. No, no to all of that. Um, normal breast cells are very estrogen and progesterone sensitive. So when tumor cells are, it says that the tumor cells um, or that tumor is actually better behaved, mimicking more like normal rather than, uh, rather than something that's strayed more from normal and maybe a little bit more aggressive like a triple negative cancer. Mm-hmm. So we begin to look at the receptors to determine uh, what the, what you know treatment might entail. And so we talk about um, really treatment at the level of the breast, uh, local treatment, which might be lumpectomy, typically with radiation or mastectomy with or without reconstruction. And then we talk about treatment for the whole body, how to protect um, and help ensure um, or at least reduce the chance that this pops up elsewhere in the body. That's typically with um, systemic therapy. That might be chemotherapy that um, might be an endocrine agent or hormonal therapy, not hormone replacement, but something like tamoxifen or or, uh, arimidex, which is actually an anti-estrogen medication. So uh, we start to think about whether or not chemotherapy may be um, part of the treatment and whether there may be any advantage of doing chemotherapy first, which is referred to as neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. means chemotherapy prior to surgery. Mm-hmm. And so adjuvant means somewhere through the treatment, probably after surgery. Adjuvant means additional, I guess. And neo means new. Before we even do the surgery, we want to 
level the playing fields and, and make everything as ready as possible by giving the chemo. And I think too, if a tumor has a receptor on it, that uh, estrogen or progesterone, and we deny it estrogen or progesterone, it helps to uh, uh, get rid of some of the cancer cells. So Kristen, the, the goals of surgery, we want to do our best to prevent recurrent breast cancer and give a uh, good cosmetic appearance the best that you can. So how do you decide for each patient whether to do lumpectomy with radiation if need be or a mastectomy? Yeah, so we, you know, this um, requires um, investigation and then very good um, discussion with the patient and, and maybe her partner, family. So, um, when we're dealing with um, tumors that are multifocal, meaning, you know, more than two or three in the breast, um, or a tumor that's more than four or five centimeters, or tumor extending to the skin, um, even like an inflammatory cancer, those are all scenarios that um, may not um, or absolutely are not a good uh, situation for lumpectomy, otherwise known as breast conservation. So that may really warrant mastectomy. There are some women who are excellent cancer candidates for lumpectomy, smaller tumor, single site, um, who still opt to do a mastectomy. And you know, mastectomy, which I think we'll talk about, is, has changed uh, entirely. But there is certainly um, a, a piece of this that is um, patient-driven, um, patient preference. And that really sure. is where we have to get into some very good discussion. Yes. Yeah, so let's take a little break. And when we come back, more from Dr. Kristen Brill from Jefferson. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. And welcome back. We're here with Dr. Kristen Burrell from Jefferson University Hospital. Chris, tell us, the word mastectomy used to frighten women when they heard it because we think of the days when the breast was removed along with a lot of muscle from the chest, much more disfiguring than it is now. For women who need a mastectomy now, what do you tell them? Yeah, I, you know, I almost hesitate to use the word mastectomy in some of the circumstances where we may be talking about that, mm -hmm. and women are frightened of that word, and it really does conjure up that you know, the picture of maybe their um, their grandmother or what they may have seen elsewhere online. But mastectomy, um, we've made incredible strides uh, in terms of cosmetic results. So depending on where the tumor is, the size and shape of the breast, um, you know, mastectomies um, often involve immediate reconstruction done at the same surgical procedure. If not completely done at the procedure, at least the first phase of reconstruction is done. So women don't wake up with you know, nothing, uh, no reconstruction and no breast form at all. They, they will have um, at least the beginning. One of my very favorite procedures, um, and, you know, I, I, I think I've made myself known now for wanting to save the nipples, but I, I am uh, quite a fan of a nipple-sparing mastectomy. So that is one where um, sort of a hidden incision is made often at the um, natural fold under the breast, Mm -hmm. um, allowing uh, the surgeon to remove all of the breast tissue from under the skin and nipple, really keeping the entire outer covering of the breast. And then at the same uh, procedure, reconstructing that breast shape, either with implant or sometimes uh, that woman's own fatty tissue from the belly and, and can be from other places. But it's, a, it's really an incredible reconstruction 
the um, skin and nipple sensation will not remain. That is lost. Um, but the appearance is there, and, and that, that makes it, I, I think, much more acceptable for, for women. So we try when it's the appropriate cancer and, and um, size and shape um, scenario, we try to offer that for women as, as often as we can. And I think one of the questions women used to have was, will I live longer? Are my chances of uh, a longer life better with a mastectomy than uh, more conservative surgery? Yeah, I do hear that often. I, I hear women who come in, as I say, sort of in the in the heat of diagnosis, um, spinning and wanting to be very aggressive, um, and will say, "I want to do a bilateral mastectomy because I want to live as long as as possible." Mm-hmm. Um, the the fact is, doing more surgery at the level of the breast does not change survival. It may slightly impact the chance of local recurrence, not even tremendously. So the, the chance of local recurrence with a lumpectomy um, should be about 5 or 7%. That's typically with radiation also. Um, while the chance of local recurrence with a mastectomy typically is about 2%. So mm-hmm. not a dramatic difference in local recurrence and no difference in distant um, recurrence or survival. Wonderful. But I think it's also important to, to point out mm-hmm. that breast cancer is extremely survivable. It's, um, you know, so that, that fear that something might be found, women won't, uh, are afraid to do a mammogram in case something's identified. The earlier we identify it, before it's palpable, before there are symptoms, um, the more survivable and curable it is. Yes. And there are certain people for whom you go right to mastectomy. I would imagine if a person's had radiation therapy to their chest because they had Hodgkin's when they were younger, or if they have uh, a family history of BRCA. And as you said, you bring a whole team in to decide for each patient, because if a person has the BRCA gene, they might want to think about bilateral mastectomy and breast reconstruction. And if a woman does want to have reconstruction, you want the patient to talk to you and the plastic surgeon and your team before you make any uh, major plan, which is wonderful. Chris, let's talk a little bit about radiation and lymph nodes while we have about five minutes left. So after uh, breast conserving surgery, sometimes you use radiation? So it, it is typically part of the treatment um, with invasive cancers. Um, we may or may not um, uh, a woman who has a non-invasive DCIS, particularly an older woman, um, may not require radiation in that scenario, but typically radiation is part of the treatment. But even radiation is, has changed tremendously. So the standard had always been um, six weeks of whole breast radiation. And with that came, you know, redness. Sometimes, you know, over time, the skin gets a little kind of thickened and, and um, you know, other, other kind of uh, chronic long-term changes to the skin and tissue. But radiation options are really tailored to the scenario, the patient's age, the, you know, the stage of the disease, the, you know, the specific type. So, um, you know, we may uh, offer a woman with a very small favorable cancer, even partial breast radiation, not no longer radiating the entire breast, but just targeted right to where the tumor was. Um, mm-hmm. And that's given over a five-day course instead of six weeks. So there, there are different uh, treatments, uh, uh, durations, and regimens um, that's based on um, tumor-specific uh, information. And the range of choice is growing, and, and thanks to people like you. So, Chris, what would you say is the most exciting change in breast cancer care now? 
Yeah, I, one of uh, my passions and something I'm very excited about and, and that we're involved in, uh, in with regards to research is um, managing uh, lymph node removal. Um, a lot of women can identify. They know um, women, particularly years ago, who had all lymph nodes removed, which was the standard of care with an invasive cancer. Um, and and typically radiation if there was uh, lymph node involvement, and that can lead to lymphedema, that chronic swelling of the arm, either, either lymphedema that comes and goes or may be chronic and, and can be really problematic. So um, more selective removal of lymph nodes. Even women who come in with lymph node involvement, often those women get chemotherapy first, that neoadjuvant chemotherapy that we talked about. Sure. And we can actually mm-hmm. downstage that tumor and uh, and possibly do a form of a sentinel node biopsy or selective lymph node removal without removing all of them. Um, it, the goal in the end is to not remove healthy nodes after chemotherapy if those women have responded and um, hopefully reducing you know, the, the sequela or some of the issues we see from lymph node removal like lymphedema or infections of the arm. Well, and I think another uh, great strides have been made with lymph node resections. One of the projects that you and I are working on and we're very excited about <clears throat> is a program that I was able to start several years ago at Jefferson called Pink Plus. So pink for reminding people about breast cancer awareness and blue for colon cancer. Everybody out there knows that I am, a, as I call myself, a GI Josephine. And uh, <laughs> actually more people die from colon cancer than breast cancer, but it's not a contest more women are likely to get their mammograms because colonoscopy and the time commitment and the prep is kind of ooey, but it's really not. It's like a day at the spa, which I tell people. But so we've designed a a program that bundles screenings. So you walk in, you get your mammogram and you stick around and you get a, a GI visit. And one night a month, we bring a gynecologist so that a woman can have her mammogram, her routine GYN screening, and if time is, if it's time for have colon screening, it's all right there at once. And it's been on the back burner for a little bit with COVID, and before that, setting up our uh, electronic record program. But we're excited to get this started again. Yes, I think that's a phenomenal uh, program, and I'm really excited to be part of that. I think that gives us an opportunity to talk to women about screening, um, you know, in you know, in all of these realms, and really provide good information that they can also share with family members, and just you know, incredibly convenient to do all of this uh, at one time. And I think we're going to have fun. <laughs> oh, I think so. Well, you know, it serves women in every category. It, it serves women who are busy with work because we go up to seven o'clock at night so you can come after work. And it helps women who have who suffer from disparities in healthcare. If you can come to one place and get two or three screenings done at once, it's less car fare, less childcare cost, all those things. We have to make things easier for people because screening, 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 the earlier we find cancers, the earlier the therapy, the more we can help people. Chris, we're going to come back in a moment and talk about websites where patients can read more about what we offer at Jefferson and just general information about genetic testing and and ways to stay ahead of breast cancer. Thank you, and we'll be right back. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. Dr. Marianne will return, but first, a medical message from one of our partners. 
In our last segment with Dr. Kristen Brill, Chris, do you have any stories that people can learn from? Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, there's a particular uh, mother-daughter uh, combination who saw me. I actually took care of uh, the mother whose um, husband is a psychologist I know. And uh, her, his stepdaughter, this, this uh, patient's daughter, went with her to genetic counseling. She, they're both of Ashkenazi Jewish origin and some family history. But actually, it prompted the daughter, who's actually a young, really um, vibrant young woman, who is a school psychologist, to, to actually delve into her own family history through her paternal side. And she discovered uh, BRCA1 mutation. So she uh, is a remarkable lady who um, really chronicled her uh, um, journey with this diagnosis and management through a blog and really uh, touched, um, you know, the lives of women across the world. She really became, you know, very uh, a great advocate for women and um, spreading information. So, again, I think women um, sort of uh, relying and, and uh, sharing information with others uh, that can be helpful is just a, um, a heartwarming, uh, you know, thing to see. Well, and I think people have to be reminded when you're together for Thanksgiving, it probably won't happen this year, but on those family occasions when your cousins and your uncles and aunts, and it's so much easier, not necessarily with, uh, you know, certain um, genetic websites or genealogy websites, but just ask, what about grandmother or granddad? And the family history is so important and can influence what you do for yourself and can save your life. So we want patients to be aware if they'd like to see you, Chris, they could call, the easiest number is 1-800-JEFF-NOW, J-E-F-F-N-O-W. Or if they'd like to come to our program where you can get a mammogram and your colon cancer screening or mammogram gynecology and GI screening, you could look us up on jefferson.edu, which is the main Jeff website. We'll be announcing the starting date. We're hoping for the second Thursday in November if all the logistics come into play. COVID has made everything a little bit harder. Chris, any parting words for our listeners? I, you know, of course, what I'm always saying, particularly in October, uh, get out there, uh, get your mammogram done. If you see or feel something that uh, that you think is new or, or concerning, absolutely don't pass it off as nothing. Get it checked out. Likely it's nothing, but, uh, you know, really everything should be checked out by a clinician. Uh, and then I think a couple of websites that I think that are uh, particularly um, helpful, um, Komen, the Komen website gives very good information, as does uh, breastcancer.org. Well, thanks, Chris, so much for joining us. And we'll see you when you come and visit us at Paint Plus. Thank you. A pleasure. We are so happy to welcome Paula Green, Executive Director from the American Cancer Society of Greater Philadelphia. Welcome, Paula. The American Cancer Society is like a giant hug. It offers so much hope and support with ongoing research and your patient programs for patients with newly diagnosed cancer, survivors, even caregivers. And your beautiful website is wonderful with patient information, easy to navigate. So tell us what's happening during Pink Month. Great. Thank you, Dr. Ritchie. Well, throughout October, uh, through our Making Strides Against Breast Cancer events, the American Cancer Society continues to unite everyone in our greater Philadelphia area and across the country in the fight to end breast cancer. Because of the pandemic, how we unite and fight back this fall will look different, but our passion to end breast cancer is the same. 
We provide free comprehensive information to support those touched by breast cancer. You can visit our website, www.cancer.org, or call our toll-free hotline, 800-227-2345. And during these times, we also specifically for breast cancer have a Reach to Recovery program where volunteers provide support to individuals who are facing a a breast cancer diagnosis. And again, you can go to cancer.org slash breast cancer or call us at 1-800-227-2345. And finally, our Making Strides Against Breast Cancer event for Greater Philadelphia is going to be held virtually on Thursday, October 15th. You can find more information about that at our Making Strides Against Breast Cancer website, and that is www.makingstrideswalk.com. Paula, thank you for sharing your message of screening, 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 even with COVID. Yes, and thank you. Thanks for having me, Dr. Ritchie. And for more information about screening or prevention, go to www.cancer.org. There we go. Now, your real champions. And now for your real champion, Michelle Concoli. I call this landing on her feet. If you look in the dictionary and find land on one's feet, it translates as to be in good condition or a good situation after having a bad or difficult experience. Well, they should add two more words, Michelle Concoli. Michelle is a fourth year medical student at Sydney Kimmel Medical College at Thomas Jefferson University. In 2011, Michelle was a college freshman at Georgetown, a biology major, division one swimmer with a promising future. Before the start of second semester, she was trying to open her dorm room window when she fell five flights, suffered multiple broken bones, along with severe spinal cord injury. She doesn't remember the fall, but woke up later in a trauma unit at George Washington University Hospital. At first, she could only move a few toes on one foot. After multiple surgeries and months of rehab as an inpatient, then more as an outpatient, her muscles slowly came back. It took three months just to stand. She could no longer be a competitive swimmer, but the team kept her on, even voted her captain in senior year. Then a different door opened, the Paralympics. In sophomore year, she started competing in local meets, but wasn't ready for the London Paralympic Games of 2012. She would aim for Rio in 2016. Aside from an extra semester to make up classes, she managed to juggle her science major and practice for two swim teams because long before, she learned how to focus on a goal. Day by day, she kept Rio as her target. Her parents raised her to be a high achiever and strive for academic excellence. She also had physical and mental toughness from the hard work of swimming. Then came 2016, time for Rio de Janeiro. Even Zika couldn't keep her away. She broke a world record in the 50-meter freestyle just before Rio, then broke the 100-meter freestyle at Rio, won two gold medals in the 50-free and 100-free, along with two other medals. Coming home could be a big letdown after such an exciting emotional experience, but Michelle had a new goal, to be a doctor. She loves Jefferson. They even let her continue to compete in international swim meets. The big lesson? She said, I realized how amazing it is to have a second chance on life and to appreciate little things. When I was in a wheelchair, I had to stay in the car instead of going into the supermarket. I didn't take anything for granted. She learned to see the world differently. She thanks her pastor, family, friends, and therapists for their support. And through a life in medicine, she can help other people just as people helped her. Recently, she spent a rotation at McGee Rehab Hospital where she herself was a patient. 
Imagine the joy of Dr. Formal, who was previously her physician and is now her teacher. People often say the most important quality they look for in their doctor is compassion. They want somebody who listens and understands. Michelle Concoli hopes to practice rehabilitation medicine for pediatric patients. Few could understand their needs like she will. When I asked her if her fall caused a concussion, she said, no, I landed on my feet. We salute you, Michelle Concoli, your real champion. Tune in next week for more great information about breast cancer, plastic surgery, genetic testing, and chemotherapy. And in two weeks, music and medicine with Sid Mark and Jerry Blavitt, the Geeter. Everyone who's cool will be here. And all of our shows are posted on yourradiodoctor.com. Get your flu shot. And remember, your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.